Be seated. Please open with me in God's Word now to the book of Galatians. We come uh, this morning in our consecutive study of Paul's epistle to the Galatians to Galatians chapter 3. And our verses are going to be verses 6 through 9. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 6 through 9. We will back up to verse 1. We might be reminded of the context of what we considered last week. But then again, today's text will be beginning in verse 6. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And now for this week's passage, just as Abraham believed God, And it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. This ends this reading uh, in God's word. Let's uh, once again seek his face in prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the wonderful good tidings that the scripture brings to us, uh, that salvation is not through things that we have done, for we are sinners who sin frequently against you. But we thank you for the wonderful news that it declares that this work of salvation has been completed in full by your grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and that it is through faith in him uh, that we are saved. Lord, we pray that this gospel message uh, would would ring uh, fresh upon our ears this day, Lord, that we would hear it and receive it with faith that we might truly believe in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, you ought to be uh, suspicious about things that claim to be uh, brand new. Uh, If somebody comes to you with a new scheme, never discovered till now, to get rich quick, uh, look with a little bit of suspicion. Someone comes to you with a new key, a brand new key. No one else has known about it to a happy and to a healthy life. Again, it will probably not live up to its promise. 
There are even in our day the promises of new technology to make life better. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for new technology uh, this past week. I'm so thankful uh, for whoever it was that invented air conditioning a number of years uh, ago. Most of us uh, can't imagine life hardly without our smartphones and things like that. A lot of good has been done in the realm of technology, but the promise that things can fundamentally solve the problems of humanity, make ultimately make life better. Well, those are promises that are way overinflated. We need to be something we need to be suspicious about things that claim to be brand new. Well, we should especially be suspicious about such claims uh, in matters of religion. Uh, the person who says that God spoke to them a message which he hasn't spoken to anybody else. Or promises that are made of this is God's way for quickly, for a, a healthy or a happy or wealthy life, a worry-free life. Somebody says, here, I have for you the, the key to growing the church in, in our day. Try this technique. Do this never-before-discovered thing. All is going to be well. Well, wherever you hear such claims, we look with great suspicion. In fact, cults thrive on this kind of thing. Our God, however, is not new. Our God has existed from eternity past to eternity future. He remains unchanged. And He has revealed Himself over time. First of all, in the Scriptures of the Old Testament. And then, finally, in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And so, whatever claims are made about God need to be claims that are with, in keeping with how God Himself has revealed Himself. And so, what we have here, when we come to the book of Galatians, dear friends, you'll remember the context in which the book of Galatians is written, that there is, in the Galatian church, a kind of dispute over justification. How is a person made right with God? The Judaizers were saying, well, it is some combination of faith in Christ plus our obedience to the works of the law, and especially submitting to the rite of circumcision. That's how a person is justified. And Paul, on the other hand, was saying, no, no, the gospel is that we are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so far in this epistle, Paul has made a number of arguments for this gospel. Uh, in the first two chapters, he established his apostolic authority. Last week, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he argued for this gospel on the, on the basis of the Galatians' own experience. But now, in verses 6 through 9, he is going to argue for it on the basis of what the Old Testament teaches and how vital this is. Paul is saying that the gospel that I preached, not the one that the Judaizers preach, is the one that is in keeping with what the Old Testament itself teaches. Well, this might seem somewhat counterintuitive at first. It may have appeared that way to the uh, to the Galatians, because the very thing of which the Judaizers boasted was their adherence 
to Moses and to the law of Moses and to circumcision and to the importance of Israel in the plan and purpose of God. It seemed, if anyone, that the Judaizers loved their Old Testament. That they were the ones who were seeking to preserve Old Testament religion. But Paul here is going to say just the opposite. That the Judaizers are not the preservers, but rather the perverters of the Old Testament. And actually, the gospel of God's free justification by faith in Jesus Christ is the gospel not only that Paul preached and that Jesus established, but it is the gospel of the Old Testament as well. And so to make his case, and he's going to do it in these verses, and also as we move forward into chapter 3, he's going to continue to make this case, But Paul goes first, not just to Moses, but even further back to Abraham. To the one who would have been boasted as the father of the Jewish nation. And Paul is going to say here, well, how was Abraham justified? Was he justified by works of the law, as the Judaizers say, or was he justified by faith? The answer is going to be clear, that Abraham himself was justified by faith, that Abraham was justified in the same, by that same gospel which Paul himself preaches. In future weeks, as I say, we're going to come to understand more than what the purpose of the law is under Moses in God's plan. We're going to see that later in Galatians 3, but today we're going to focus on this one, Abraham. Uh, and what is it that uh, Abraham, or what, what is that gospel uh, which Abraham himself uh, believed? Well, so we're going to look at it under four different points today. Uh, first of all, we're going to see Abraham's justification. Uh, secondly, Abraham's faith. Third, Abraham's descendants. Fourth, Abraham's blessing. Okay, Abraham's justification, Abraham's faith, each of those are going to be primarily verse 6. Abraham's descendants, verse 7, and then Abraham's blessing, verses 8 and 9. First of all, we see here Abraham's justification. Now, again, the Jews of the first century, just as Jews today, are those who revered Abraham very highly. But the reason that the Jews revered revered Abraham so highly was primarily for his virtues and for his deeds. So to speak of one rabbinic commentator, Ben Sirach, he wrote, uh, uh, Abraham was the great father of a multitude of nations, and no one has been found like him in glory. He kept the law of the Most High. That was the chief thing. And so people often spoke of Abraham as one who was rewarded by God for his uh, righteousness. It was, uh, or as it was said in 1 Maccabees uh, uh, 2.52, did not Abraham prove steadfast under trial and so gain credit as a righteous man? 
But Paul says, if that's primarily our understanding of Abraham, then we've missed it entirely. Rather, the chief thing about Abraham wasn't his deeds, but his faith. That Abraham was one who received promises from God, and he trusted God to keep those promises. And so verse 6 in Galatians 3 is actually a quote out of Genesis 15 and verse 6. Here it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him uh, for righteousness. Uh, Genesis 15 uh, tells us a story. It tells us a story about Abraham who had received a promise uh, that he was going to have uh, uh, descendants, descendants, uh, uh, and that in his, uh, uh, back in chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3, that of him he was going to be made a great nation, uh, that, uh, and, and that, um, uh, that the Lord would bless him and make his name great. And then in chapter 15, uh, the Lord comes to Abram and he says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. And Abram then says, Well, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Well, so Abraham was troubled. The Lord had given him a promise of descendants, and yet he had none, and he was reaching an age where it would have been where, where it was seemingly impossible for him to have any. He was near 100 years old. Well, the word of the Lord now comes to Abram, and he says that this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside then, and he said to him, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. It was a promise that was made to Abram. And then how do we read? He responds to that promise, verse 6 of Genesis 15. And he believed the Lord, and it was credited to it was counted it and, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So the Abraham was old, the promises had not been fulfilled yet, and yet Abraham here cast himself in simple faith upon the promises of God. Abraham believed what God said, and it wasn't just a kind of intellectual assent, but rather a wholehearted reliance upon God in the trustworthiness of his word. And what do the scriptures say in Genesis 15:6? But that upon believing in uh, this God, that it was credited or counted, we might say accounted or reckoned to him as righteousness. That is, Abraham received this righteous standing before God. Abraham was counted righteous, and he was counted righteous not after he did something. It was not after something that Abraham achieved or accomplished. It wasn't a deed that he performed, but it wasn't a reward that he earned but rather it was a righteous standing before God that came to him by faith. 
And it was this kind of faith, wholehearted trust in God, that was the mark of Abraham's life. This wasn't an isolated incident of this kind of faith. Earlier in Genesis 12, when God had given Abraham those promises, Abraham acted upon those promises because he believed in God. Faith was the characteristic of Abraham's life above all others. And it was on the basis of this faith, because, or it was through this faith that then Abraham received this righteous standing before God. And that's what Paul himself picks up on and acknowledges, not only in Galatians 3 where we are, but also in Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. This is a kind of a beautiful parallel statement here. In Romans chapter 4, it says, What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So you see there, it wasn't that Abraham performed faithful deeds upon which the Lord then said, you are righteous but rather Abraham believed the word of God. And he was then, at that moment, declared righteous, counted righteous before Almighty God. So that's Abraham's justification. But now let's move on, secondly though, to Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith. So here I want to ask the question, when it says here that Abraham believed, well, what was it? that Abraham believed. Is his faith the same as ours? Our faith is a faith that calls on us to believe in Jesus Christ crucified as the one who atones for our sin and and in Jesus Christ risen as the victorious king. Was that Abraham's faith also? Was his faith a faith in Jesus Christ? I think that's an important question to ask if we are justified in the same way that Abraham was. Was his faith in the same thing that our faith is in? And here I think it's crucial that we understand what these promises were that were made to Abraham. That these were not merely what we might call kind of personal promises isolated from what God was doing in redemptive history. But rather, the promises that were made to Abraham were promises that marked the further unfolding of God's plan of redemption. They were promises of what God was going to do, of what God was doing to redeem His people. And so, if we think of the Old Testament we know that the first gospel promise was one that was made way back in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that of the seed of the woman would come one who would crush the serpent's head. 
And then there were continued promises that were made. Uh, uh, There was a godly line that was preserved. There was grace that was shown to Noah. And then there was a promise with the calling of Abraham that Abraham would have a seed. Uh, There's going to be more to come about this in Galatians 3 and verse 16. But also that Abraham would possess a land that is given as God's free gift and inheritance And it was a land that would come through a son that was born by the power of God's promise. And so these promises that were made to Abraham were the further unfolding of those promises of redemption that were first given. And so Abraham himself even understood that these promises were not merely that he himself personally would would live in this earthly land of Canaan and that his natural descendants would receive this, but rather he even understood that this was a heavenly promise that was given to him through Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews 11 and verse 10 rightly remarks that Abraham himself was looking for that city that has foundations, not just the earthly land of Canaan, but a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Or Jesus even could say of Abraham in John 8 and verse 56 that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. Well, how was it? Well, it was through Abraham's faith in uh, this coming Messiah. And so, dear friends, Abraham's faith was a faith that was centered upon the promises of God And it was centered upon the promises of God as they revealed his plan of redemption. Abraham had, as it were, the gospel in in bud. We have that gospel in flower. Okay? But it's the same gospel, right? Just Just as a plant, when it begins to bud, it's, What is going to flower is in there. It's in the plant and it's about to come out. And so Abraham, as it were, at that early stage of redemption, had these promises that God was going to supernaturally work in His grace. That the Lord Himself was going to provide this seed. That the Lord Himself was going to provide an inheritance for a people that He was calling to Himself. And that the Lord would do this sovereignly and powerfully when it seems by human ability impossible. And the point is that all of these were gospel promises and it was these gospel promises that Abraham believed. And dear friends, all it is is that we now live a little further along in this uh, 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 unfolding of redemption. We now have seen these promises fulfilled. Fulfilled marvelously in the Lord Jesus Christ the one who was sent by the Father as the Messiah of His people, who died an atoning death so that our sins might be fully and freely forgiven, who is now risen from the dead as the victorious King. We believe in the Christ who has come. Abraham believed in the Christ who was to come. Abraham believed in that Christ whom the Lord would send by promise We believe now in that Christ who has been sent and who is now placarded, as it were, before our eyes as as crucified. This is where our Westminster Confession of Faith, I think, is so helpful. Uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, 
uh, chapter uh, 7, when it says this about the covenant of grace, it says that this covenant of grace is differently administered in the time of the law, that is, before Christ's coming, and in the time of the gospel, after. Under the law, as it would be given, uh, especially with uh, the coming of Moses, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the paschal lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all four signifying Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah, by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation and is called the Old Testament. You see, in Christ, they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation. So, to bring this down, uh, to apply this for a second, friends, what we see, this is why Abraham's faith stands as such an example to you and to me. Abraham believed the same gospel that we do. But he believed it before all of these promises were fulfilled. He had, as it were, that bare word of God, what God was going to do. And he believed that God could do it. He cast himself wholeheartedly upon the Lord. Well, friends, how much more do we have? We have seen these gospel promises come to fruition in Jesus Christ. We know that 2,000 years ago that this God-man came and he walked on this earth. He performed miracles. He taught. He has a perfect righteousness and he died an atoning death on Calvary's tree for your sins and for mine. This Jesus Christ was powerfully raised from the dead on the third day. And now there is that promise of eternal life to all who place their faith in him. Friends, if Abraham believed in this Christ, Can we not also believe in Him as well? If Abraham placed his faith in these gospel promises, oh, how much more reason do we have to walk in the steps of faithful Abraham and believe this same gospel that he did? We ought to be encouraged by Abraham's faith. And so we have seen Abraham's justification. He was justified, accounted righteous, Through faith, not on the basis of works. And his faith, we've seen now secondly, is a faith in that same Christ in whom we believe. It was the same redeeming God, the same gospel promises in bud that we now see in flower. But now this leads us thirdly to this point of Abraham's descendants. Abraham's descendants. And we see this here in Galatians Uh, Chapter 3 and verse uh, 7. Galatians chapter 3 and verse uh, 7. There it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Who are the children, the descendants of Abraham? Well, The Judaizers, of course, boasted that Abraham was their father. That they were the true uh, pedigree. That their ancestor was Abraham. You remember, the Pharisees boasted about the same thing. John chapter 
8, that we have Abraham as, as our father. You know, they, they delighted to be able to trace, as it were, their ancestry back to Abraham. We know people in our own day who, who uh, it is rightly so, it's, it's very interesting, like to trace their ancestry back. And, uh, you know, you, you know of those who can say, I can trace it back all the way to somebody who came over on the Mayflower. Uh, and that's, that's remarkable. It is. And that's kind of what the Judaizers were doing, though, with Abraham. Well, we can trace our ancestry back. We can show you that line of, of descent all of the way back uh, to Abraham. And it was, became a matter of boasting for them, a matter of pride. And, and the marker of this pride was the marker of circumcision. That was the primary identity marker of who the Jews of who the Jews were. If you were circumcised, that was a marker that you were God's people. Abraham's child, you had received favor from God. But, this is what Paul's point here is, when does, when was it that circumcision was established? Well, circumcision was established in Genesis chapter 17. Two chapters later in our Bibles than when Abraham was declared to be righteous by faith. And so circumcision, Paul is saying, was given to Abraham as a sign of the covenant. It was a sign of God's faithfulness. And it was a marker of spiritual significance. It, as it were, sealed the gospel promise but a gospel promise which Abraham had embraced by faith. And so if that's the relationship between Abraham's faith, which came first, and the giving of circumcision, which came later, who then are the true children of Abraham? Is it those who have been circumcised as Jews? And the answer is no. It is rather those who look to Abraham's God in faith. That Abraham believed while yet uncircumcised. And he is the father of all of those who yet uncircumcised still believe in Jesus Christ. And so he is here called, that uh, uh, we are then called the sons of Abraham. We are part of that same spiritual family as Abraham. Now, how is it that we are Abraham's children? Well, I think a couple of things. On the one hand, we are Abraham's children because we mimic him. Okay, that's what children do to their parents, right? We bear the family mark. We mimic those who are older than us. And so we are to be those who mimic our father Abraham, believing even as he believed. But even more than that, secondly, we are his children because we are united with Abraham in family bonds. And what is that bond that unites us to Abraham? Well, it is the bond of Jesus Christ. You see, ultimately, we are Abraham's children, not because we do what Abraham did, but we are his children because the Savior in whom he believed is the one in whom we believe. We are part of His same spiritual family 
Abraham justified by faith in this coming Messiah. We justified by faith in him as well. And so if we were to be if we are to be a part of Abraham's family, which is ultimately none other than the family of God, we are called also to believe in this same Savior. Friends, that's the mark of those who truly belong to Abraham's family. You see, what the Judaizers wanted to say was that it was primarily a case of what happened to you outwardly that was important. Your circumcision, your Jewish identity, your Jewish culture, your outward adherence to the law, and what Paul is saying, no, the thing that is the marker of all true children of God is this. It is this wholehearted reliance upon Jesus Christ as your Savior. So again, I've made this application a few times already as we've made our way through the book of Galatians, but let me make it again to you, especially who are children who are growing up in the church. Our desire is not simply that you would be baptized, that you would uh, be comfortable in the culture of a church, that you would even be a member of a church or any other outward thing. What our chief passion is above everything else is that you, by faith, would know Jesus Christ in your hearts. It's your hearts that we're concerned about. A heart that is sensitive to your sin and that flees in faith to Jesus Christ because it is that it is those who believe upon the Savior that are part of Abraham's family. And then might it manifest itself in all sorts of outward works in your life and deeds of kindness and love and a desire to be a part of a church and to invest yourself in the life of a church. These are all good things, wonderful things that we ought to do. But friends, it is chiefly this. It is the mark of God's children that we have those that are hearts that are trusting in this Savior. Will you be one who places your faith like Abraham in this Savior? But that moves us lastly now, fourthly, to Abraham's blessing. Abraham's blessing. We see this in verses 8 and 9. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Just make a few comments about these verses. First of all, it's interesting that it describes uh, here a promise that was made by God in Genesis 12 and verse 3 as the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. It equates the Scriptures with being the Word of God. The Scriptures as being true. So why do we believe that this book is God's Word? Because it is indeed the view. It was the view of Jesus Himself. It is the view of the Apostles. That even when we read those words in Genesis 12 and verse 3, it is the Scripture which is speaking and the Scripture which is the Word of God. But what is it referring to here? Well, here in verse 8, 
It now goes back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. These were the initial promises that were given to Abraham. When God first called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and it made that promise to him, and it said, to, and, and the Lord said to Abram at that time, Abram had done nothing yet to deserve any of this. This was sure. This was only a sign of God's grace. And it says to, he says to Abram, "I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you." And him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, here it is, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now how, how, how did the Judaizers read this? Well, the Judaizers read this uh, really as a way of speaking of the greatness of Abraham in establishing the nation of Israel and how the other families of the earth might come be, become a part of Israel, but that Israel was the primary thing. But instead, Paul is saying, no, we properly read Genesis 12 and verse 3 in this way. That is, when we remember that Abraham was first and foremost a man of faith who believed God's promises and was justified, that in believing Abraham, through whom the Messiah would come, that in him all nations would be blessed as they, like Abraham, placed their faith in this Messiah whom the Lord would send. That in Abraham, the one who himself was justified by faith, in him all the families or all the nations, Paul says, of the earth would be blessed. And so what is it here, if you go back to Galatians 3 and verse uh, 8? First, so what is it that is preached here? Galatians 3, 8 says it's nothing less than the gospel here that is being preached to Abraham. And who is it to whom this promise comes? What well, is a promise that comes to the nations? And it is saying that even in the time of Abraham, God's plan and purpose was that the nations themselves would experience, would experience blessing through faith in this Messiah, that the nations, in believing Abraham, themselves would receive blessing. And so it was God's plan and purpose from the beginning that peoples everywhere throughout this globe themselves would enter into this blessing which is received by faith alone. And it reminds us, friends, as we've seen throughout the book of Galatians, that when we properly understand the doctrine of justification, that it is by faith alone that we are made right with God, that that then leads to a glorious view of missions because it means that this gospel is a gospel that is for everyone. It has no cultural barriers, no cultural bounds at all. That justification leads to missions and leads to a passion that we should have to take the gospel out among all people. And so this promise is a promise that comes to the nations. And what is the promise that is then held out to the nations? What well, is nothing less than a promise of blessing? Paul says it is that 
in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. And what is the greatest blessing that the Lord gives? Well, it is the blessing of his favor, of his grace. It is that we sinners though we are might come to know this God personally through Jesus Christ. And that we would no longer be under his wrath but that we would be accepted into his family. And it's saying in the same way that Abraham was justified by faith, so the nations themselves also can be blessed in this eternal life with Father Abraham. And that ought to be just a great encouragement uh, to you and to me. This gospel is one which embraces peoples everywhere. And even way back in the days of Abraham, that was God's purpose and intention. You see what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the gospel that I preach is not something new. But rather we go back to Genesis and we see this was God's purpose and plan and intention all along that through faith in this crucified Messiah that the nations would be made right with God. You know, in just a few, uh, or next summer, uh, the Olympic Games are going to take place in in Paris. Um, They've been planned on for many, many years now. It takes uh, years of planning and money that's being invested, and I'm sure countless committees and staff that are working on all of the preparations for these games. And there's a sense in which the bigger an event is, the longer time of preparation there is for it. The Olympic Games are big, so there's a period of time preparing for that event that's going to take place. Well, dear friends, when you and I come to put our faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and are brought into his kingdom, the church, and receive eternal life, friends, this was something that was prepared for and promised thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, and even before that in the councils of Almighty God. And when Noah today makes profession of his faith, joins the church of Jesus Christ, friends, this is something of extraordinary significance. This is what was being talked about in Genesis 12 and verse 3. That in Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And when we gather together as his church in West Springfield, Massachusetts, we do so as part of that church which is being justified through Jesus Christ. We are part of something extraordinarily big, something extraordinarily significant. I ask you that. Don't you want to be part of something big, something that counts, something that matters, something that will last in this world? Well, friends, put your faith in Jesus Christ and be part of this kingdom that will never go away. Commit yourself to that. That's what will last. That's what matters in this world. It was that same gospel which was at first preached to Abraham. Might we also believe in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this gospel message and we pray indeed that we would remember, that we would see, that we would have the spiritual eyes to see that it was this same gospel by which Abraham was saved. Lord, we pray that we also might have faith in this Messiah, the Messiah who has come, who is crucified and now risen. Lord, our God, that we might be part and experience that blessing which you hold out 
for all those who are uh, uh, received uh, by you through Jesus Christ. Lord, stir our hearts even today with this truth, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Let's sing now uh, to God's praise and glory our hymn.